This series of podcasts looks at new acquisitions by living artists in the National Collection. We explore the motivation behind the work, how it came to be in the gallery, and what it means for an artist to have their work as part of the National Collection. In this episode, Donald Maguire, curator of the ESB Centre for the Study of Irish Art at the Gallery, speaks to the painter Richard Gorman about his life and work. Richard Gorman is a Milan-based painter whose work is part of collections nationally and internationally. He has exhibited all over the world and cites frequent visits to Japan as influential on his work and use of materials. His 2005 woodblock print, Big Red, was acquired by the gallery in 2020. Okay, hi Richard, and thank you for joining us from your studio in Dublin. Um, I thought we'd begin with uh, a, a question, really, about your about your work and the style of painting that you make uh, for people who who may be both familiar and unfamiliar with your with your paintings. Um, they're very recognisable. They're uh, in their use of a very highly deliberate uh, use of abstraction and uh, flat colour. And I suppose most people who know your work will know it for its use of simple shapes and uh, a selection of, a minimal selection of uh, colours. And I'm thinking of the work that's on exhibition in the National Gallery at the moment, um, which uh, has a a, a very simple arrangement of maybe three shapes, uh, two red shapes. It's called, uh, the painting is called Big Red, I believe. And um, it's... uh, and it's 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 in a very dis- distinct abstract style. I thought maybe to begin, you could tell us a little bit about how this uh, your approach to abstraction evolved over the years, and um, and where it stems from. I guess. Well, in, in fact, the work you speak of is a woodblock print. It's not a painting. Sure. Yes, sorry. My, yeah. It's just, it's just a different, different, slightly different approach. My, my my the thrust of my work is is painting and printing is a, an occasional behavior which is also a group behavior because I would work with technicians and also I make paper in Japan in a in, in a paper workshop there and the same thing applies I, I I'm working with people which is a nice relief as well because it's necessary to work on one's own to make something happen which is individual and be it the right direction or the wrong direction. You've got to follow something. And what I tend to do is to develop work because it's kind of internally developed. It's not looking at other people's work so much. The paintings that I'm influenced by are Bellini and Velasquez and the greats from, from the past. And mostly looking at art, contemporary art doesn't concern me very much. I'm sort of rather selfish and opinionated person. I was going to say, so that's interesting that you look at older art, historic art. That how do you see a relationship then between a very modern abstract style and uh, more traditional figurative painting, maybe perhaps? Well, it's really everything is abstract. I mean. However, somebody 
perceives the world and then reproduces that perception in, in the work that they're making. It's an abstraction of what was really there. In, in a way, you could look at it in the way of literature. A painting is, is a work in paint. It doesn't suggest whether it's abstract or it's figurative. It just is a painting. And I, I'm a painter that paints. Um, you could say that, um, in a way, it's, it, it, it's a, a, a painting is of something. This idea, I suppose, of um, how a painting maybe relates to its source, even. Uh... Painting at the time, the time that I'm interested in, was largely um, commissioned by the church. The subject matter was, was, it was a given. And the negotiation was about how much of expensive colours would be used and how, how much time it would take, and it would be in, in a workshop situation. And people would be trying to get as close to a photographic image as, as possible without knowing this, not having encountered photography. So you see these breakthroughs like David Hockney speaks about in The Secret Knowledge, where lenses were almost certainly used to project onto a camera obscura, projecting onto... Because almost certainly the, 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 the painters would have encountered the lens makers because they were in the same uh, group of, of, of artisans, so to speak. So anyway, painting is... Painting is interesting because it's very—it's a very simple thing. Paint is a liquid substance which is applied to a surface. Now, it what it comes to represent is a different thing. But what what it all is the same thing as in in art history is you put paint on with a brush or with a roller or with your fingers or what. But paint has got a front and a back. So the, when you begin a painting, you, you put some paint down and you're not... I don't consider too much what's happening at the beginning because I can't think a painting. I have to make a painting. And through the painting, the thoughts and judgments and adjustments um, make themselves clear to me. And you get into a kind of a dialogue with the painting where it can sneer at you and say, oh, you're trying that again. I we won't have that. And so you, 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 it's, it's a very peculiar behaviour. But so the, 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 the back of the painting cancels the previous decision. You paint over. The last decision is the front of the painting, the front of the paint itself. So when you look at a painting, what you're looking at is paint. Now, when you look at a photograph, you're not asked to think about the surface, even if it's beautiful silver gelatin or something. You're, you're being led to the message through the medium. But in paint, the paint is the me me medium, is the message, much more so. It's also got a great immediacy because if I make something which is carved or, or welded or, or video or something, um, 
I, I'm, how should I say? Well, I think what you're saying maybe is the, the, uh, the meaning in your work is contained in the material process and the material itself. Exactly right. That's what I want to get at. So I, I start to, to make something. And how I start how I, to know what to paint is I take the last, I, I paint in, it has ended up historically that I paint in groups of about 10 or 12 things. And then I sort of have a regroup of thinking and photography. And, and that, that leaves you with a question when you're going to start again. You don't actually stop anything, but it, it divides into, into these periods of work. So you, you end up want, not knowing what to do, because I'm not a painter of things. It's not a, a picture. That's another thought. A picture, in a way, is a like a simile in, in English language. It's a picture of. It suggests it's of something else. Whereas a painting is can be of itself. It exists because of a certain number of procedures I go through and then stop going through, and it's the evidence of what you did. When I was in the studio in Milan uh, some years ago, <laughs> initially, if you leave the door on the latch, people would just march right in without knocking. And the Portinaio, the guy who was the concierge type person, came in with a with a Turkish baker and uh, asked me. Um, said, I see what it is, but what does it signify? And this was a question asked in, in a normal voice and not not uh, the usual, or not the usual, to say usual, but often people are kind of very suspicious of paintings which don't represent something else. So anyway, I said to him, this painting, it is what I spend my time doing and nothing else. So and I, that's, a, I think, quite a good answer because... It's a kind of a record of an activity. The fact that it doesn't is not a representation of something else, which is a bit like a simile in English, as I was saying. It's, it's more like a metaphor, in a way, because it, it can be of itself, which which can then draw a person into their own conclusions. But at, at the beginning, I thought it was necessary to have a narrative. And that the, it, the picture must tell a story. The, if, even if the painting was abstract, like de Kooning or something, there had to be a story. And this meant that I would spend a lot of time putting in the story and then t taking it out in a gestural, uh, abstract expressionist type of activity. But eventually I found that unhelpful because... I would be lapping around like a dervish, listening to Johann Sebastian Bach or something, and the paint flying around the place. And that was very good when it was good, but it was very bad when it was bad. And it also ended up in something which looked like rollerball wire or bush. There's a lot of lines crisscrossing and that kind of thing. And far from 
eliciting an emotion from the per person who v viewed that, it had the feeling that you were closing them off from entering from this bush-like kind of splashing. And then you're, you get into the business of the beautiful splashes and holding the beautiful splashes and the, the, that whole sort of frothy painterliness, which is which can be very dangerous because you just end up making what they call distress, I think, in, in furniture. I think you mentioned there that uh, part of, if, if, the, if the painting in a sense is a, a record or of, of an activity, that part of that activity or that process happens internally as well. There's an yeah. internal process of whether it's decisions or... I don't know, emotions or something, there's something internal that's happening within in you that uh, is part of that process as well. That's exactly right. But, but it's not It's not conscious. I, I have nothing to say to anybody that makes any sense, at least all to me. And I've no, there is no message. I remember, for example, um, Bean came back from America or Canada or something like that. And so, some interviewers said, what's the message in your work? And he said, well, I can't use the word what he exactly said. I'm not an effing pigeon. There's no message. <laughs> and, and, and that is, remains true. But why should I have a, a, any idea that's any more clever or any more com satisfying as a result? Yeah. All I do is, it's a sort of a solving of problems that didn't exist until you began the painting. Mm. And you, so you make kind of rules for yourself because there have got to be rules to, to be, allow you to begin, to have something to tangle with, either whether it's abstraction or whether it's figurative, it's the same thing as just paint. So you end up m making some tiny judgments. And then if it goes really well, time just sort of disappears. You live in a sort of a peculiar zone where the decisions, which are just like, oh, it's too dark, it's too light, it's too cold, it's too warm, it's too thick, it's too thin. And you're just dealing with that kind of thing one after another. And somewhere along the line, you either nearly achieve something and then it goes away, there isn't enough in it, or it, you destroy it, you go too far. And you have, I think you also, a painter has, just to stay relevant, I think you always have to tr take the risk of going too far, of not being satisfied and not copying yourself, finding a solution. Because there are, it does of course happen, I mean, that there are certain, within these sort of 12 works, this little clump of works that I would be making, you, you do end up making similar marks or similar design tricks, kind of. And I know you have a particular interest in uh, Japan and Japanese culture, and uh, you've, you've spent some time in Japan. Would you say that some of these things that you're talking about, the focus on smaller decisions or the or the absence of maybe a, a strong ego or message there in your work, that that has some connection with your interests in uh, Japanese? Uh, 
Yes, in a word. I mean, I think what happens when we get interested in things that already interest us, if you know what I mean. You get, you recognize things which somehow are part of your personality without quite realizing it. And you're, you're quite right. There's that Tanizaki, a writer called Tanizaki, who wrote In Praise of Shadows, which is a fascinating book about where he envisaged there should be aeroplanes with tatami instead of seats and it's quite mad. Of course, you're, 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 you're quite right. Egoism and individualism are not really considered as admirable in Japan. Carpentry and... Um, craft. The craft, that's the word. <laughs> Difficult word like that. Huh? Um, craft is so is so respected because the the, the the carpenter is so respects so much the materials he's working with is nothing is done without thought and that is something which doesn't happen here at all and art is supposed to be elevated beyond that but I don't, I don't see that difference that those differences really in, in design in, in craft in painting because I have nothing to say. Samuel Beckett said that he had nothing to say but the necessity of saying it or something. And could I ask you, what, what brought you to Japan first? What was it that uh, appealed to you or that you decided to make your first trip there? Um, a girl, of course, and yeah. a friend called Mika. And I spent a long, long time living with Mika. And that was what got me in, interested. And then... I. A, a, a gallery there, a guy called Yanagisawa, um, was given a, paint, a small work on paper that I made for the family of Miko for, for thanking them to visit. It was brought to them, and I've made many, many shows with him since. So that gave me a practical reason for going. And this is a small gallery, but a good, it was quite a good gallery. It is quite a good gallery. And he's been involved in Ireland quite a lot because I brought him here with various group shows and I get sort of involved in the soup of the whole thing. And you use um, Japanese materials. I know yeah. Uh, yeah, so Japanese yeah. paper is something that you uh, have made a lot of use of. Well, this is an extraordinary thing. This, this, this happened by accident, uh, not connected through Mika, but... I was in the courtyard of my studio in Milan and the Japanese guy just happened to pass by and invited him in and we were chatting and, and he's a photographer called Toshi Kazama and he had just come from a village in western Japan in the mountains that made only paper. That was what their basic work was. Um, and he said, this place was amazing and I must, I must go there. And we did. And paper is a kind of, uh, traditionally in Japan, was a thing that farmers did in the winter. It's very labor intensive. It's very tough. Although the paper is the most curious ambiguity with paper because the paper that, that I use is called washi. It's called kozo, which is the plant. Echizen is the place. Washi is the type of paper, gen generic. And it's extremely strong. You would be hard pushed to tear it. It's got very long fibers, wood fibers. And 
you make it like making omelets. It's delicate and soft and very easy to ruin when making it. And yet it's quite strong. And and the the result again is is in that sense I work with groups of people sometimes making very large works three meters square huge things, hmm. um, and it's I've been going there for thirty years, and it's it's just fascinating because you you, you come across that that uh, same old story mind you with machismo. You know the the the, 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 the 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 woman workers and the men workers and the men are always lifting things that are far too heavy for them and hurting themselves, and sort of they they uh, there's a sort of almost like a ceremony at the end of the day when the paper is made one after the other wet paper, but about that thick of paper, and they bring it to a press to squeeze all the water out of it overnight. And they all they, they kind of run with it. It's amazingly dangerous. It's a silly thing to do, but it's part of the thing every every evening, and it's it's kind of fascinating. And then I would get so tired, I, I would be saying to myself, because I would be making on my own. I make small sheets of paper, seventy by eighty centimeters, and then I paint on them later. And then we developed that into using pre-dyed paper, and I would. Ask them to prepare certain colors, and then we 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 I had I've had fascinating years making these huge paper pieces and making shows of them. And the we're, we're I suppose we're skipping between your the different use your different use of media art media, but there is quite a a distinct a distinction maybe between uh, your print work and your painting work, and you. Am I correct to say that you approach them quite differently? They're both two different strands of your practice, or is there a closer relationship between them? No, very much. There is both. It's both true. It's a different approach because you're going to be working with people. So you want to have some kind of idea what you're going to do because they're going to ask you, what do we do now? And you say, well, I have to think for a while. And they say, well, this is going to cost you. So you want to be smart and I have a kind of ethic of that kind of thing. I guess this is a real Protestant ethic of getting value for things. So I want to work well with everybody and and then um, be limited and yet not limited by the medium because it's a different, you have to approach it in a different way. Well, print's very interesting because, first of all, it's back to front, it's mirror. So you have to take that into account. And then you proof in black and then you think in color and then the other thing is in a painting is like a life li- lived because you ma- you make decisions which only you can only do one thing this or that and you keep going forward with the print you can do many things you can say oh let, let me make a blue one a green one and a yellow one and we'll we we'll, we'll we'll do that and that one and that one. And then you hang them up, and you all walk to the end of the room and look at it, and have a look at it, and a discussion. And they're saying, "I think we should follow those two leads." And then you work again and have another chat. So first of all, you want to go in with a strong, strongish idea to, to know, and then be willing, be absolutely not dogmatic in keeping to that, as something is suggested. You can't assume the artist is right. When you work with a group of people, they they know much more than you do. That's why you're working with them. 
So if you're not going to listen to them, that's a bit silly. So the print is uh, going back to that idea of your work being a, a product of an activity. The print is the product of a very collaborative activity. That would be right. No, it doesn't always have to be. There are people who print only, but it's a rather, um, how would you say, it's in, internalizing kind of way of working because it can be very slow. Also, I like to work fast, so I found certain ways of working. Well, through um, James O'Nolan, who unfortunately got, got killed off his bicycle, um, uh, was somebody who had a genius for knowing what form of print would suit what type of artist and how they might write. And he came up with this ver version of Japanese woodblock print where we got, where we used lumps, just plywood and rough plywood with a, suited us, not really smooth. So he got a certain amount of t texture in, this, in the surface. And that worked really well. I just just finished another group of doing that in the graphic studio for mm. for a client. And, and uh, the work in the National Gallery collection, Big Red, is an example of this. Uh, yeah, it was. Process. That's exactly right. It, it's two yeah. two big, just enormous sheets of very thick uh, plywood. But you can see the the beautiful grain of the I presume right. birch ply or something like that being appearing in the. That's right. Print. And it's, it deals with the thing that's interesting that I touched, we touched on earlier, and that is this, the quality of surface. When you paint, there's this danger of making the beautiful tachiste kind of mark and, and holding on to that corner of the painting and trying to re re balance it off in some other way around it. And it's not how a painting works. Um, you know, a, a painting, painting is interesting because you get one look at a painting and it's, it either grabs, t takes hold of the imagination of the person looking or takes their interest in some way, but it has to work all over. Whereas a poem, a film, a play, lots of things are time-based and they can be good parts, mm. but painting can't have good parts. Yeah, I guess a painting you can consider the whole thing at once. It's yes. Perhaps Richard, could you um, tell us about your practice at the moment, and maybe what you're working on at the moment? Maybe even what a, a normal day in the studio is like for you these days. Well, for 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 the last since I began doing this is when I was thirty. Um, I've always lived in the studio. At least it's a different thing. <clears throat> to paint in a paint in a house than to sleep in a studio because I'm sort of totally immersed. I can, in the middle of the night, I can get up and have a, have a look. Maybe maybe even be so brave as to go and spoil something that was not too bad uh, until you reconsidered it at night. So what I'm doing now is painting and printing, basically, and some and paper making. All of those things are still rolling on. Um, I have Parkinson's, which changes things. Um, I don't say it helps things, but it, 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 it changes things in a way that's very interesting. You know, we don't see with our eyes. We see with our brains. Because it, our, our eyes are, are only the lenses to, to project an upside-down image on the back of your 
the back of your eyeball, and then that's rejigged so that we don't have to discover everything every day new. So, so the chair isn't something which is seen for the first time every day. It would be so tiring. So you'd never get further than your breakfast, I'd say. Um, so these assumptions made by your brain are, are, are altered, in, as far as I can work out, in, 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 in my case, because I think Parkinson's is sort of a, each person is different. I can't easily determine what's near and which is far. I mean, so the old father Ted and the cow question. <laughs> it's, it's really true. I can't see if it's a little cow and it's near. <laughs> and very often things that are in groups together, objects, sort of meld into some new object, which I can't see. I can't see that that's... Wait a minute, it isn't. It's this person or... It's, uh, uh, this happens quite quite often. And there seems to be people around the place I'm not going mad now, but it's just a, a coat thrown over the back of a chair will suddenly suggest a person. It's not that I see a person. Don't, don't, yeah. I don't want to get uh, committed after this interview. <laughs> but your brain, I think what you're saying is that, you're, that you're, what, the process that's happening in your brain is uh, different maybe than what most people uh, experience. I think so. And uh, so I think this is this is positive. I've read that there's other instances of something sim. It's just you're you're, you're picking up on something else. You just you're just misunderstanding. It's a bit like Japan, actually. Japan is fascinating <laughs> because each time you go to Japan, you realise that you had misunderstood something that you'd finally thought you had understood the last time. Okay. And each, every single time, every, everything. So in the end, you stop trying to understand because it doesn't get you anywhere. Mm. So you s relax and look and don't, don't, don't seek to understand. And would, is this, the, I suppose, the thinking that you're doing about seeing and how you experience the world at the moment, is that informing your new work? Well, I think it's changing it, yes. It's changing it and it's changing it I th I th I think it's for, it's for that's for that's for you have to ask somebody else that really in a way because I'm part of that confusion myself. Has your practice been affected in any way over the last year by the pandemic and uh, life during this uh, during COVID? No, not so much because really what a painter does is spend a lot of time on his or her own kind of smearing paint around the place and trying to make sense of paintings. And it's, it's just it's just the same, really. Is there anything that surprised you about um, how the world has, the direction that things have taken or how we've arrived in this situation or where we're going from, from it? I couldn't have a thought so big. <laughs> So we, the National Gallery of Ireland acquired a work through Stony Road Press, one of the, the yes. big red uh, print. And I was, I, I suppose, I was curious about your um, your interest. You you mentioned your interest in historical art, which the National Gallery, of course, has a as a an important collection of art historical paintings. That yes. have you is uh, your having your work in the national collection is that of any significance personally to you, or is it is the is the collection itself a collection that you're interested in? Is it a place you've spent time over the years, or have been 
uh, influenced by it all? Yes, I mean, it's really, it's a feeling of um, two things. Of kind of, obviously, I'm proud to be chosen. I'd prefer it if they got a painting, mind you. <laughs> but it's what I do, if you know what I mean. The, 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 the print is a good print. I'm not yeah. denying the print, and we, we enjoyed making it. Well, since you're still making new work, maybe that opportunity is still there. I hope so. I have to keep li- keep living. And as, as regards his historical thing, I think what's fascinating, pro- process is the thing that fascinates me in everything. Not, not the expression of ideas, but the process, the finding of something within the process. And that's exemplified in the print. And, and, uh, and, and the, the, the materials I use in painting... Um, there wouldn't have been tube oil paint in, uh, at the, uh, and paintings in the early Renaissance were mostly not, not, were not oil paint, they were, they were egg-based. So, um, no, I have lost the thread there. You were, you were talking about uh, process and... Uh, yes. And so that if Leonardo da Vinci walked into my studio... He would recognize the basic means of what I'm doing. You know, he, we, we, I'm not saying we'd be exactly colleagues, but he, he was he was dealing with exactly the same things as I am. The fact that I'm not making the Virgin St. Anne and the, 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 the infant Jesus, he, he would have the same kind of interest, an interest in materials that the Last Supper was made, it was falling to bits in his lifetime. Because he was chosen to use in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, what's the word new uh, means of ma- of making, and it didn't hold together really. There's an interest then in experimentation there as well, I suppose, is what you're. I stopped thinking. that. I stopped the experimentation because people didn't enjoy watching their paintings land on the floor <laughs> in, in, in in little pieces as if, as temper or something dried too quickly or I didn't get it quite right, the mixtures. I decided to let paint manufacturers get on with their job and I'd get on with smearing it and not not be making it up. To put you on the spot, uh, if you were to see your work alongside, to be hung alongside any historical artist, who would you most like to kind of, to see it on the wall beside, to have a conversation with, so to speak, in a gallery? Goodness, I don't think I could answer that. I could only say Piero della Francesca, I think, is... But that's sort of... But then that's sort of an obvious thing to say, isn't it? Um, yeah. Piero. Yeah. So, you know, you take something like that real oddball one, the, the Madonna del Parto, with the pregnant virgin... There you go. That's almost Irish, isn't it? Yeah. And is it the the narrative there or the... It's the quiet. Yeah. The quiet, I think. Is that something that you uh, aim for in your own paintings, would you say? Quietness? or I once described somebody else's work as, as having a soft austerity. And I think I'd tr- like, like to be in that sort of zone. Of of not not being not hectoring, although these new paintings that I'm making now look, looks like they were made by about a twelve year old, 
So I don't know what that says to all my bleating on about theory of this and that. It's, I suppose it's strange times for everyone, isn't it? That uh, it is no harm and it. Maybe we all get closer to understanding what's important, but I don't. I doubt it. History is just there. It goes. Well, well, thank you, Richard. I think that might be a, a nice way of finishing our conversation. And it's been a real delight to speak to you today from your studio. And thank you for sharing uh, so much of your, your thoughts about your practice and uh, your work and your life at the moment and where you see it going. Best of luck with the, with, with, with the new work and any forthcoming exhibitions. And hopefully we'll be seeing lots of uh, Richard Gorman's in, in galleries in the future. Thank you. It's flattering that you asked me. And as somebody said... Anybody who tells you flattery doesn't work has never been flattered. (laughs) Thank you.